Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. Everyone's standing around, you're super bored, you know, maybe your your phone is dead even from being on a long flight, and a conversation with someone interesting might be very welcome. It might be the best thing that could happen to you. Are you telling me that this is why I need to start checking my bag? I think you need to travel with something beyond your 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 nasty backpack, Evan. So what I would have to do is pretend to stand at baggage claim and talk to somebody. And then they'd be like, oh, so when's your bag coming out? I'd be like, oh, um, I don't uh, actually have a check bag. I just, <laughs> I just kind of like hanging out here. Welcome back to another episode of No Blackout Dates. I'm Evan. And I'm Melanie. And today, Jenny Hart is here. She's a travel writer and professional matchmaker. She's based in Mexico City, but connects people from all over the world we're going to talk to her about how to properly use dating apps in foreign countries, how to meet people on airplanes, and how matchmakers can help out digital nomads. But first, we're going to get into hot takes. Melanie, are you ready? Oh, I'm so ready. Deep breaths. I got to stretch. got to do some <laughs> exercises. Okay. So first question for you, Melanie. Why do girls love true crime podcasts so much? Because they're amazing. I oh was hoping gosh. you'd say that. <laughs> I love true crime podcasts. I was they hoping you weren't so the one joy. who didn't listen to them. Oh, no. I feel like if I were to have another show in my life, if I were to do a show, it would be either travel or true crime. Like, I love discovering, like, who murdered who and why and, like, what evidence led to their demise. Like, how were they caught? That is, that is my favorite thing, how people got caught. God, you're so morbid. Yes, it's so fun. So I talked to a friend of mine who also, she loves true crime podcasts. I asked her like, why do you, why do you think why she was like, oh yeah, it's like definitely a girl thing. I'm like, so why is that? Like, why do I don't know a single guy that listens to true crime podcast? 90% of the girls that I'm friends with are obsessed with them. She says the reason she thinks is because women are often the victims. So, she, so they like to listen to figure out, okay, if I was in this situation, if I was like around this potential serial killer if i was in a dangerous situation what would i do and what would i how would i handle it so that's one of it the other the other kind of more psychological aspect she said was almost like a fantasy not a fantasy of a fetish of oh i hope i get murdered tonight but like <laughs> it's it's almost like this it's an adrenaline rush hearing it's like it. an adrenaline it's like a voyeuristic in adrenaline hit that it's like a it's it's like making you feel like you're swept up in something like kind of like a romance novel Absolutely. and again i can't i don't can't delve too much into the psychology behind her answers because i'm not her but i think that there was some truth to that i there's definitely a lot of truth to that i think one of the main reasons i love true crime is that i think subconsciously i like to put myself in that situation and go okay what what would i do in it and you know there's such an opportunity to really learn um and then i really do think that adrenaline rush and that idea of like, oh my gosh, this is a page turner. What happens next? Like, women love that. I mean, I think so many people love that, but especially women love that. And again, yeah, I guess I'm just still confused why like guys love page turners too. Arguably have shorter attention spans than women. Accurate. It's like just morbid to me. 
they're like, oh my God, I was listening to this podcast. This guy, this, this, look, this guy strangled this woman and her blood was everywhere. And they thought it was, they thought it was the janitor, but it was really the teacher. And I'm just like, this is what you're doing to relax. You're coming home after a long, hard day's work. And you know, you want to kick up your <laughs> oh, feet no. with a glass of wine and listen to some girl get strangled. It's like, that's how, that's your free time. But then you learn about how like the crime was perpetrated. You find out like what were the motivations? What, how did this person become a victim? What was their what was their life like before they committed this murder? Have they committed other murders? It is so fascinating, and I think there is this idea of not only are we learning, but we get so much information about like the human psyche. And I think, I mean, personally, I I always want to know more. I always want to know more. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I, I, I will also say that this the same friend of mine. She heard a unfamiliar uh, dog in the apartment downstairs, like howling one night, thought it was a woman screaming and called the police despite her friends who were over saying, I don't think that's a woman screaming. I think it's a dog howling. She's like, no, no, someone's getting murdered. Someone's getting murdered. Calls the police. Police show up, bust in the door downstairs. It's just a dog. And everyone... So basically they had like a little intervention being like, hey, you got to stop listening to the True Crime podcast because it's conditioning you to think that everything you hear mm. is a murder being committed. And we live in a town of 17,000 people where I think the last murder was in 1972. So this is it's one thing if you're in, you know, New York City. We are not yes. in New York City. So to, for her to immediately, her mind to go to that place, that to me is like kind of dark. And I wouldn't want to be in a place that like the, the entertainment I'm consuming is causing me to, to, to jump to conclusions every time I hear an innocuous sound. But what if it had been a person getting murdered? Then wouldn't you okay, be grateful? Okay, so I'll just call 911 every time I hear a dog barking. That's, I mean, what if the dog is barking because someone had been murdered and was, had just discovered its owner? This could be a true crime podcast. You're literally reciting a, a, a plot of a true crime right? podcast. You listen Isn't to it last exciting? Night, okay. Yes, I yeah. love it. Right. We're gonna we're getting off of this. Uh, right. No, we're, we're that, this is now a true crime podcast. <sighs> Mysteries with Melanie Taking... and Evan, mostly Melanie. <laughs> Mystery. We'll do a Thursday uh, episode that's just called Mysteries with Melanie. It's just you reading ghost stories to people. Wouldn't that be fun? Like my voice is so high pitched. No, no, and, like, it would be. <laughs> it's like it wouldn't mysteries, be fun, but like spoken through like a disney character like wouldn't that be enjoyable your your mom your mom would love that i'm sure she would be the one download for that honestly episode. i think she'd be very interested okay. and i'm okay with that all right well we're gonna move on to a very very different t- subject which is fine Metro network followers on instagram voted for the hot take subject they wanted us to talk about today from the news that was kim kardashian visits pete davidson in staten island which is which was newsworthy because staten island is a shithole. Yes, and that's putting it very nicely. But I don't care particularly about Kim Kardashian or Pete Davidson. That's not. This isn't. This isn't e news. What I want to know about is how far, Melanie, would you travel to hook up with somebody that you don't know very well or at all? Uh, not very. Far. I'm sure she was already in the area, but you know she lives in LA. So assume assume they've been talking a little bit, but she had they haven't really met up or hooked up yet. How far would you travel? She goes to Staten Island, takes the. She definitely didn't take the Staten Island ferry, but say she did. <laughs> Funny image to get to Pete Davidson. How far would you travel? You know, okay. I am just. I've watched a lot of Hallmark. I want to be in Hallmark movies. I think I would like. I would travel the world to meet someone that I thought was really, really. So, special. what would it take to get you to go to, like, Flint, Michigan, 
I keep I keep bringing up Flint, Michigan on the show. So sorry <laughs> to Flint. But what would you what would it take? Get on an airplane, get a rental car, get to the pl- what would it take? You're talking you're talking to someone. It's going well, you know, you, you know, you never met them in person, but you're like this is this is a, this is the guy could be the one. Would you get on a plane and go Honestly, see him? I would not go to Flint, Michigan. Because it's Flint, Michigan or because it's getting on a plane to see a complete stranger. This actually feeds well into our uh, episode topic for today. Yeah. I would not get on a plane to meet a complete stranger in, a, in an area that was not super populated because your girl has watched a lot of true crime and I'm not going to get murdered. No, no, no. Pop, it's not about pop, Flint, Michigan's populated. I'm just talking about a not nice area. So you live in New York City. Would you go to Staten Island for? Absolutely not. I've been to Staten Island twice and it was not, a, I would never go again. Like, no. Okay. So you met at a bar. Not. You met at a bar one night. You met for like an hour. Super hot guy. 10 out of 10. Got along really well. Good personality. He's like, hey, come to Staten Island. Like, we'll go out to my favorite pizza place. And then we'll go to the pawn shop after that. Like, what's the, what do people in Staten Island do? I don't know. What's, uh, you would, you wouldn't do it. Okay. Absolutely not. Okay. So if we've been dating for a while. That's different. Then like, okay, that's different. If we have never hung out, you're coming to New York City. Like, it's, there's so many things to do in New York City. Like, you're coming here. I'm not going somewhere random. Uh, Newsflash. Staten Island is a borough of New York City. I don't know. I just kind of ignore Staten. I'm so sorry. The ferry is really beautiful. If you wanna, if you're visiting New okay, York no, and you no, wanna no, see, no. We're not, this isn't a tourism ad for Staten Island. <laughs> I feel like it's like a bell curve, though. It's like it depends on how attractive the person is and what kind of connection you have before you start dating. Like, so if the person is like very attractive, you have a really good connection, then okay, yeah, maybe you'll fly to uh, South Africa. Who knows? But if you know you're kind of like lukewarm on it. You might not even drive 20 minutes. What's your Tinder radius? If you have ever had a Tinder, what's your Tinder radius? Five miles, not in Jersey. Jersey does not count. I will not go to Jersey for a first date. So if I, okay. But even if, if it was 10 steps, but it, it, that those 10 steps led you to Jersey, you wouldn't take it. Okay. Yeah. If those 10 steps led me to Jersey, then that other person better. Okay. This is the thing about dating in New York city. People, people know, like if you're living in Jersey, I'm not, this is a common thing. People are not going to meet you in the Bronx, Queens, New Jersey, Staten Island. You're coming and meeting in the city. So Brooklyn and Manhattan, okay. Brooklyn, if you're in like Williamsburg, off the L train, somewhere close enough. But like I, I have friends who live in Flatbush where, you know, it literally takes an hour 15 to get into the city. I'm like, no, no, you're coming into the city. Or, or we'll meet in an area that's at least, you know, instead of meeting in Midtown, maybe we'll meet like really close to where the L train gets off. So it's not like, I, I wouldn't expect someone to come all the way up to meet me, but I think we just got to be realistic. Okay. Well, speaking of meeting halfway, it's your turn now, Melanie. Hit me with some hot takes. All right. Okay. So I just went on an amazing cruise. It was one of the coolest things I've ever done. And it had tips included, which I loved. And a lot of like luxury cruise liners do this, but a lot of, non-luxury cruise liners will add on like 150 to 200 dollars tip onto your bill at the end and you can dispute it and get it taken off but i feel like cruises should have tips included like absolutely yeah i mean if uh, cruises are all inclusive right like everything else is all inclusive Mm -hmm. then i I think tips should be too i think i mean you pay more up front obviously like yeah you should pay more but i think the whole point is that you don't have to think about anything you have to think about paying or tipping or anything so no, they can, it's tough because, you know, then they could be like, all right, well, we're going to include a 
50% tip or we're going to make that tip, not 15 to 20, but like 35. So when you have, we leave it up to them, it's a little tough, but yeah, I think if it's an all inclusive, I think it has to literally mean all inclusive and you can't be left to wonder, well, what about alcohol? What about tips? It's like, no, right. it's all inclusive. And don't get me wrong, I, I always tip and like my brother and I went together and we were some of the only people, uh, we were like a large press trip group. I know for a fact him and I were some of the only people who tipped at all. Like we tipped extra, we brought cash specifically so we could tip out um, like our, our lovely crew and different people, but a lot of people don't do it. And so I feel like it's just like being a waitress, like servers and waitresses and hostesses, like they shouldn't have to depend on tips. Like you should just pay them and and fantastic living so that way everybody is taken care of yeah and i think when restaurants because some will do this they have gratuity included in the bill mm -hmm. it's i don't hate that because it's they, they usually do like 18 percent or something which i think is reasonable right. and saves me from having to calculate it yeah. but i love that i think it's tough because they will put that in without it really being that explicit that it's in there and then sometimes yes. you'll end up tipping twice. So you don't know that the tip is built into the check and then you mm -hmm. tip on top of that, which I think is a little underhanded because I think that they kind of expect that to happen. Yes. Like I've barely caught a few times where I've like left a normal, like a 20% tip and then realized, oh shit, they already included 18% tip in the thing. I 100% agree. I think I, I mean, I'm not against tipping. Like I am, a, I pretty much tip like 18, 20, 25% every time I go somewhere just because especially in the world we live in right now, I know everyone is struggling, but I just don't feel like we should, tipping should not be in lieu of paying people what they deserve to be paid. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we're on the same page about that. So one thing I think we might not be on the same page about, so a common occurrence or relatively common now is giving flight attendants gifts as, as you walk onto the plane. Is that common? Really? I've oh, seen man. people doing it. Like I, I've, I was looking at, a, I went to Michael's recently and I was like, Ooh, what would I, what, what do I think the flight crew would like? And I was like, wait, what am I doing? Do you know why it's so common? Do you know why people are, are it's so in vogue now? It's because everyone listened to no blackout dates episode with Betty, the flight attendant, yes! where she told people, Hey, you know, what goes a long way giving the flight attendant a little gift mm -hmm. and by gift, she doesn't mean an Xbox. She means no. like, you know, a bag of Skittles yes. or something like a little bag of candy, something like that. Get special treatment. I thought I've never seen anybody do this. And I actually, prior to boarding my flight home from Mexico, I thought, you know what, should I like give the, give the one of the women like a little thing of candy. And I just chickened out of it basically didn't do it. But so I was like, yeah, what, what's that? First of all, you don't know when you board the plane, you don't know which flight attendant is going to be assigned to your section. So you could end up giving someone a gift and then they're not even part of your section, which, you know, who cares? You're out of bag of Skittles and you did something nice. But so I think you have to kind of like figure out who's in your section first to make that really effective. But I was thinking like, you know what? That's a good tip. I bet, I bet that would actually go a long way. It's where, I don't know what they, what they give you probably better on an international flight where there's more food and perks to be had. But it surprises me to hear that, that that's so commonplace and widespread. I do think it is like a sweet gesture because, I mean, flight attendants are there for your safety, but they end up doing a lot of other things that I feel like people look at them as like the help of like being a maid. And like that is not what their job is, but they go above and beyond. So I am in full support of gifts, and I think we should be giving gifts to flight attendants more often. It occurred to me when I was on my, this most recent flight how thankless and tough of a job being a flight attendant is when they're like basically mm -hmm. they're like waitresses at like a soup kitchen like they pretty much 
have they're like working on comfortable uh environments they have to wear these masks now mm-hmm. they all they serve is water and nips for alcoholics and yep. shitty stale sandwiches or and like peanuts and then they just get like berated by passengers they have no room to like really sit or stand comfortably they're constantly up and down i feel like i heard a thing recently that said flight attendants generally retire sooner than other professions because they it's bad for their body it's like physically bad for them like they like their posture suffers like chimney sweeps have like famously terrible posture it's like i feel really? like the, the flight attendants are the chimney sweeps of mm. the 21st century I don't know. I just was thinking I could never, ever, ever do this. And you really, you got, I respect the people that do. And you really have to love travel so much because I mean, I do, and I would not in a million years be a flight attendant just for, just for the free trips. Would you ever do it? You know, I actually think I would love being a flight attendant. Like, I think it would be really fun. You'd get to meet a bunch of people, travel all the time. I don't know. I don't think you're bubbly enough. (laughs) That's fair. That's really, wow. I had like this. Just the giggle that comes out. <laughs> I think it could be fun. I feel like we would we would have some fun conversations, I think, if I was a flight attendant. Me or you or you and non-consenting passengers? That will be decided when I become a flight attendant, so we'll circle back on that. All right, flight attendant Melanie, good luck on that. I would be like the Southwest flight attendants where they like come in and they're really fun and there's maybe a rap. Wouldn't you like to hear me rap? Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> okay, you can, we'll, we'll, we'll give you till next week to prepare a rap. But for now, speaking of fun, we're going to get into our interview with Woo! Jenny. So stay tuned for that. We'll see you on the other side. Jenny Hart is a travel writer and professional matchmaker who helps singles find love all around the world. Welcome, Jenny, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So how exactly does matchmaking work in the 21st century? Because I feel like this isn't like Fiddler on the Roof where you're pairing people up in a small farming village without their consent. No, I mean, I do personally identify as a Yenta because I'm a big gossip, but that's just a, more of a, a personal trait than a professional trait. Same, Jenny. Um, really. We're the same. <laughs> It works pretty much the same way as it always has. You know, have you ever asked a friend that like, oh, do you know any single girls? Or if your friend has a girlfriend that you think is really cute, oh, does she have a sister or a cousin or a friend that she could introduce me to? You're essentially requesting matchmaking. It's being introduced and set up to other eligible singles that you think someone thinks that you would have something in common with. So how it works professionally is I harness my very vast network of eligible single men and women uh, with a wide range of genders, sexualities, locations, personal backgrounds, goals, and, and try to match people that I think would be compatible. So I mean, the first step, of course, is if two people are single, but I, a lot of matchmakers that are more old school kind of fiddler on the roof status, that's kind of the only thing they lean into is like, all right, you're single, you're single, now date. Clearly, that's not um, super constructive these days um, to having it be a good match. And so you look at um, all the qualities that each person has um, as an individual, as well as what they're looking for in a partner. So taking physical attraction into consideration because people maybe are polite and they say that it's not important, but it is. You want to be physically attracted to the person you're dating. You take in personality traits like sense of humor, work ethic, um, your background, how you grew up, what your family is like. Those all 
kind of contribute to the person you are and the person that you are when you're dating and as well as the type of person that you want to date. And you take into consideration life goals as well, you know, um, whether that's financial, career, lifestyle, um, religion and politics, all of that. It's like, what sort of person are you and what sort of person do you want to become? And then how does that other person align with you? So you said you have a vast network of singles. How do you have a vast network of singles? Teach where us. Do you, where, do you get, where do you get that network from? <laughs> and where can we find this? Well, yeah, yeah. So I partner with different matchmaking companies around the world. Um, one of my main roles that I do is I'm constantly recruiting new singles for them. Because um, one of the challenges of being a successful matchmaker and being good at your job is that you're constantly running out of single people to match because the people you're working with are then no longer single. So matchmakers are constantly in need of, of meeting new eligible men and women who are open to going out on a date and finding love. And so my job is, it's kind of like a headhunter, you know, for a career job, but I'm, I'm headhunting people that are single. So, you know, I, I was giving my spiel to Evan just the other day and he signed up for my network because he was like, oh, he's like, oh yeah, I'm in the network. He's like, I'm single. If I know this is a, this is audio only everyone, but Evan is quite handsome. Just throwing it out there. He's, he's such a cutie. All yes, right. Evan. Come on, come on. <laughs> But seriously, slide into my DMs. So it's constantly meeting people, whether just, I mean, I I met Evan in a completely non-dating um, situation, but it just came up a natural conversation that he was he was single and, and open to being set up. So it's meeting people like that in my day-to-day life, or it is, you know, doing a very targeted search where it's approaching people, whether in person or more so these days online, given the, the state of the world right now. Um, I joke mm-hmm. that I get to be very creepy on the internet for my job where I am sliding into random people's DMs and being like, Hey, are you single? (laughs) You know, you have to, you have to ask. So yeah, I, I utilize social media. I utilize dating apps because hopefully fingers crossed everyone on the dating app is single. So I can skip that first question. You would hope you would be surprised, but you would hope (laughs) definitely most people are at least. Um, you know, asking uh, friends of friends, you know, I was living in New York City for over a decade. And that's definitely a great place to be to meet new people every single day. Right. So just so people understand kind of how this whole process works. I know we touched on it a little bit. So you have clients who pay to use your services. And then you have a database of people who for whom it's free. And the clients are being set up with someone from that database. Exactly. So can can you just go into a little bit just so people understand the delineation between the two? Sure. So there are two ways to work with a matchmaker. One way is there is a fee. There is a fee for the service, so it's paid. And the other way, there is no fee. That is the first question I get from literally every single person that I message. Like, well, what's the cost to this? I'm like, well, if you want to pay me for my services, I'm not going to say no, but there actually is not an initial cost. I promise. It's not a gimmick to get you in the door. There is, there is never a cost if you don't want there to be. So the difference is if you sign up to be a client, depending on the package that you arrange with your matchmaker, whether it's myself or one of my colleagues, you will get a guaranteed number of matches within a time period, whether that's one month, three months, six months, a year, et cetera. But it's not just a matter of, okay, here's a single person for you to date, go meet them. It's, you know, we're finding curated, personalized matches for you. Like I was saying earlier, based on who you are and what your preferences are, as well as what the other person's preferences are. 
you know, I'm not going to set you up with the girl of your dreams if I don't think that she would like you as well. It needs to be a two-way street. Um, but so we, like you were saying, we always do need people though to set up our clients with. And so if you're single and you're open and interested in being set up, maybe you're not in a position in your personal life or in your finances to commit to paying someone for the service, but you're open-minded and curious, then you can join our free database. And it, like I said, it is genuinely always free. There are no guarantees. I'm not going to be actively searching for dates on your behalf because my time is valuable. And so <laughs> I, I will only do that for people that pay me. It is what it is. It's a job. Um, but I'm going to keep you in mind. And so if I have someone, if I meet someone that I think would be a great match for you, then I'll reach out and I will share their information, you know, a, a description of, of who they are and what they're like. And then so that's me, why you haven't flooded me with dates yet. Well, you also signed up like two days ago. So I was expecting to wake up that. to like 17 emails and DMs. <laughs> but okay, that's fine. So Evan's based in a smaller U.S. city. And so um, I'm going to share his information with matchmakers I know that have bases in that city. Um, because he expressed to me that while he's potentially open to meeting someone who lives elsewhere, if he were to be traveling to that area for work separately, he's more interested in dating locally. So I'm going to share his information with local matchmakers to him. And then, like I said, I will be kind of the middleman, which is convenient because we've met in person and, and, and I've gotten a good sense of, of who he is and what he's looking for. So it's a helpful a certified non-creep right here. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's questionable. questionable. Up for debate, maybe. We don't know Definitely each other that debatable. well. But Definitely debatable. Matchmaker approved, certified, non-weirdo, non-creep. At least non-creep. I don't want to go that far and say non-weirdo. You could put, that on, but... put that on your dating profile, Evan. Be like, matchmaker approved. Weird, but not a creep. I like it. Weird, but tolerable. I would love to, I would love to do an audit of your tinder profile and let you know whether it's good or if you do actually seem like a creep uh, because the number of guys and women too who think their profile is is top notch unfortunately that is not the case so <laughs> how did i not think about no. doing that in mexico that's crazy missed opportunity that's the number one service i actually offer for digital nomads and travelers um so i myself am i don't really like the term digital nomad for myself because i'm very much a home-based kind of gal um i don't move around every month or or every few months i have a a committed one-year lease that i'm about to resign but i'm an american and i live in a foreign country and i work remotely and work for myself so i fall into that kind category and I live in Mexico City right now I'm from New York and I meet so many people here that are you know uh, you know short-term living here or they're or they're frequent travelers they're always on the road and so matchmaking while some of them do request matchmaking they're like no I want to meet people here I want to find the love of my life or you know so many people dream of meeting someone who's also location independent or also a frequent traveler so they can travel the world together um, so matchmaking services of course apply but definitely the service I provide to travelers most is dating profile rewrites and audits I also worked for many years um, as a magazine photo editor so I can help you get new photos too whether that's even me taking pictures of you with your phone in terms of good angles and good lighting and, and advising on your outfits, which those are three things that a lot of dating profiles are lacking, are unflattering outfits. Oh my gosh, 
For the love of God, please, everyone listening, do not post pictures of yourself wearing sunglasses on your dating profile. That yes, is, 100%. Every, almost every dating profile I see, it's like half the pictures are people wearing sunglasses. And that is just not doing you any favors. I'm sorry. I feel like one of the worst is when you look at someone's photo, but it's actually a group photo and you don't know which one the person is because yeah. it's their very first photo. There are, there are hard and fast rules, which I can share that with you guys now of like the, the top things that I say. Yeah, so one is it's okay to include one photo of you in a group. Uh, it's nice because you can be like, hey, I have friends. That, that's good. It's always good to know someone has friends. There are a lot of people that don't have friends. And Melanie, what's that like? <gasps> <laughs> so cold. Oh, man. I will fight you, Evan. But no, back to the dating profile. So yeah, so you can have a maximum of one group picture and it cannot be your first picture. It should be towards the bottom. Um, and that's even optional. You don't have to have a group picture. What is not optional is you need to have minimum one very clear headshot picture of your face, shoulders up. It does not have to be like an actor headshot, anything professional, but like a clear picture of your face. It can be a selfie. That's fine. And you do need to have at least one clear full body. Image. Like shirtless in the mirror. No, no, like... no, 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 no. Please, please, <laughs> please, please. No shirtless pictures. And even if you're wearing a bathing suit and it's you know, at the beach or at the pool in a, in a where, in a place that wearing a bathing suit would be appropriate, that's fine. But if you're taking a mirror image of you in a bathing suit, that is really weird. And for men, men and women, please do not do it. You're going to attract the wrong types of people. Evan, you got to take your photos down. No more. Well, I got it. I, I just, as you're speaking, I deleted all five of them. So yeah. No. <laughs> to touch back onto the travel thing, when you have a profile and you're in another country, and you want to say, because this is what you see a lot when you travel and you uh, pull up Tinder or whatever, or Bumble, and someone's profile says, like, just here for a week looking for someone to show me around. Or, like, oh, just visiting, like, here in New York for three days. That kind of the transient nature of using dating apps while you're traveling, I think, is tough because it makes people immediately aware, okay, this guy, this woman is not in this city for very long. So the only thing I could possibly have with this person is a short-term fling and potentially the only thing they're looking for is that because that's why they're on this app when they're only here for a few days is that a fair assessment and is there a way to kind of combat that if you are looking for something if you are open to something longer term long distance meeting someone in a foreign country or another city and then you're going to leave in a week and go home if you're traveling and you're using the apps definitely disclose that you're you're traveling and you're only here for a few days because then um, that's going to weed out people that aren't interested in whether if, of just going out on potentially one date with you and never seeing you again. Or, you know, even if you're open to a long distance relationship, maybe someone's not. And so like, oh, I don't want to date someone that doesn't live locally. But I think it could be a great way to meet someone, whether you're interested in just connecting with someone new in a different city um, and it doesn't turn into anything. But then you you know someone in a different city around the world. And that's always fun to expand your network in that way and to have a local perspective on things to do, someone to hang out with. You know, solo travel especially, even if you love solo travel, it can get lonely. And um, I've definitely used dating apps uh, in the past just to meet people in a, in a friendly way. I mean, of course, now that, I mean, now you can do that actually for friends, you know, like Bumble BFF, for example, is one great option. But back before there was that option, of course, I was then only connecting with, um, with people of the opposite gender because I'm straight, but it was in a more kind of friendly dynamic of, Hey, I'm just looking for someone to, to grab a meal with and, and to talk and hang out. And 
and I had pretty good success with that. So I think going in with an open mind of, of sure, this could just be a, a one night, um, you know, casual friendly encounter, or it could be a one night, you know, sexy encounter, whatever you go, whatever it ends up being, it could be that it could turn into something if you meet someone really special. Um, I think it's great to keep an open mind. But I think as long as you just list in your profile, hey, I'm in Berlin for a week and a half would love to meet someone new. I don't think you have to go really deep into the intention. Because even if you're like, oh, I want to find a German girlfriend, and I'm going to put that in my profile. First of all, that's kind of weird. Second of all, maybe you match with someone and you go out with them, and and they, they're a perfectly lovely person, but they're not the person for you. You don't want to kind of set up a weird intention of, oh, this is an interview for a long-distance relationship. I think it's better just to kind of keep it casual with the initial connection, and then if when you meet, um, there is that there's that chemistry and there's that spark, then you can see where it takes you from there, whether you see them again uh, while you're in town, whether you start committing to something. That's how it was with my partner and I, where, um, yeah, when we met, we um, we met, the, the first night we met, he was, you know, very actively pursuing, trying to talk to me, and I was very much not interested, which is hilarious. But by the end of the night, I kind of acquiesced, and I let him... Um, he lived not far from the hotel I was staying at, so I let him walk me home to my hotel, and we said goodnight, and that was it. And I was, because I said I was really not interested, but then I saw him again, not in a creepy stalker way. I was there for a work event, and he and he was he was related to the event, so we kept on seeing each you other. You went to get ice from down down the hall, and he was waiting for you behind <laughs> the just, ice machine. And he was not in a creepy way. He was just way, like though. in a sleeping bag, in a sleeping bag outside of my <laughs> hotel room. Oh, hey. Um, it's totally, it's yeah, totally normal so though. Like casual, just, yeah. I like it. Not creepy at all. Yeah. Well, no, we 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 kept on running into each other because of this conference. Um, and yeah, but then the second time I met him, I was a little more receptive. And um, yeah, and then it ended up being we we ended up spending every single day. I think I was in town for a week and a half every single day together from there, um, which is kind of wild. And like I said, I was not looking to date, let alone, I wasn't even looking to flirt with anyone. I was there for work and very, um, you know, focused on that and was not interested in talking to like local dudes. And like I said, we just, we just fell for each other really quick. Um, but if I, if it was something I had been seeking, like again, just someone to grab a meal with, I wouldn't say like, I'm looking for my, my foreign lover to, to spend my life with. I mean, that's very aggressive. Or even saying like, oh, I'm open to a long distance relationship. I feel like that comes off as kind of weird on a dating app um, because you don't know what the connection is going to be. So I think as long as you just disclose how long you're in town for and that you live elsewhere, um, you're only going to match with people that are open to either um, a one-time encounter or that are open to the potential of something long distance. Well, you had mentioned to me that you'll pair people up who live on totally different coasts. So someone who lives in Boston, someone who lives in LA, having never met before, you'll, you know, if you think they're a good match, you'll pair them together. Um, obviously based on other factors and, you know, personality traits and what they're looking for. And if you think they have a good connection to me, it's so hard to imagine flying out to LA to meet someone for a blind date, essentially. Um, even if a matchmaker tells me that's it's a good fit, that it seems like you just mentioned how long distance relationships are so hard and are such hard work. I understand it if you meet organically in person somehow, um, and you were dating for a while, you're seeing each other, and then 
because of school or work or whatever, one person has to move far away and then you keep it going. But to start a relationship that way just seems so difficult. And I feel like a lot of traveler relationships, people who meet each other while traveling that don't live in the same area, they're kind of destined to be that, to be long distance from the start, which is why I think it's so tough to meet people when you're on the road. But you're saying that it's still, it's doable. You're not shooting yourself in the foot completely by starting out that way. Yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, in terms of matching people that live in different cities, um, you know, the big question is, well, which do you, which do you want more? Do you want a life in the city in which you're living? Or do you want a life with a partner who gets you, who's perfect for you, who you can build something with? Um, and of course, there are some people that they're like, no, I only want to date in my destination. Then fine, that's okay. That's a, that's your prerogative. And hopefully you live in a destination that has a lot of other singles. Um, but typically, it's the people that I do match um, long distance are people that maybe they live in small cities where they feel like they've exhausted the local dating pool. Or, or they're travelers and uh, and they're frequently on the road. Or neither. They're just like, you know what? I I care more about meeting the right person than I care about location. And if I if I met someone who was perfect for me, I would be open to moving for that person. It's easier now more than ever with so many people working remotely. That was my next question. Was what's in terms of demographics and the kind of people that seek out your services? Is it a lot of remote workers? Is it a lot of travel type digital nomad people like what's the demographic look like i mean like i said I, I meet a lot of travelers and digital nomads coming through mexico city um from all different nationalities who like i said they're just whether they want to meet someone you know locally while they're here whether it's someone who's a local or who's another international traveler or it's just something that they they want to do going forward the youngest client i've ever had was 19 which that felt very young to me. I mean, obviously no judgment, um, but it was kind of funny where I was thinking, I'm like, wow, I'm like, I mean, I guess good for you that you're taking dating so seriously at age 19 that you're going to pay for this service. Um, but also like, I mean, have you tried going to your college to meet people? <laughs> but no, so I've, I've had a 19 year old client and I've had um, a client in her late seventies. She was a widow and um, after spending a few years grieving, she's like, you know what? I'm young. I'm ready for my next life chapter. She's like, I'm not, I'm not dead yet. I want to meet someone great. And I was like, sister, good for you. I love this energy. So it really varies. I'd say the average age range, though, is 30s and 40s. Um, because that's kind of when people are, are realizing they're like, all right, you know, I've been single for a while or I've dated and now I'm ready to find my life partner. You know, oftentimes people that utilize matchmaking, they're ready for a very serious relationship, whether that leads to marriage or life partnership or just something like said, a little bit more serious, not casual. They want to find um, a significant other, a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And so it tends to be once people enter their 30s, um, they take dating a little bit more seriously than their 20s. That's that's a generalization. I work with people in their 20s too, but like I said, probably mostly it's once they're in their 30s and then into 40s as well, especially, you know, late 30s, early 40s, I feel like is the sweet spot of if people want to have children and they haven't met their life partner yet, they're like, yikes, running out of time, I need help. <laughs> and so they, they solicit a matchmaker's help. And in terms of like cultural background, I know you work mostly with U.S. clients, but is there, in terms of what people are looking for or difficulties uh, in dating culture, 
do people from certain countries or backgrounds have more need of your services than others have you found um yeah i mean it depends on on what people are looking for i definitely um you know there are some people that they utilize matchmakers because they have a very specific idea often physically but other qualities too of like what they want and they come to matchmakers and like deliver me this person like that's what i'm going to pay you to do like create this person for me um, and I will say that in terms of other cultures, I often hear, and this is this this is not meant to generalize, but this is a, a I do get this this uh, this niche a lot. Um, a lot of um, Indian men and uh, Southeast Asian, Middle Eastern men who want like blonde white American women, and right. who, who ideally, of course, are also like beautiful and doctors and bull, you know, <laughs> like I'm like, yeah, I would love to date that person too. Um, but that is something I hear a lot. Um, which is interesting. And, um, you know, of course, there are, are lots of really wonderful women of, of all backgrounds that uh, that will date Indian men. But there are some women, too, that are very close off to that idea. But then, and the, but there are some clients I've had that like, they only want to date this very, very specific demographic. Like I hear like, like white women, this height, this hair color, this complexion. And um, so that can be a challenge. I often, I tell my clients, you know, okay, I want to introduce you to someone that's going to like you as much as you like them you know that's really important to me but if at the end of the day you're you're going to be so specific on your requirements i'm like i you can ask me for anything you want and i will deliver that person to you but there's no guarantee they're going to be as attracted to you as you are to them and this has nothing to do with any specific race or culture it's just a generalization where because people of all races and cultures um, and backgrounds do say like why well, I, I, they give me very specific sometimes physical parameters and it's like, you can either pay me to help you find a connection or you can pay me to help you find arm candy. And I can do either of those. I prefer the connection. But if you're really stringent on like exactly what you want physically, then fine. Just don't complain to me if they don't want a second date with you because that's out of my control. Here's a question. So like, say there's a woman who is like a 10 and she's your client and she says that she wants, you know, these personality traits in a guy there's not but she doesn't really like specify physically what she's looking for she's kind of like open would you set her up with a guy who is objectively a two but meets all of her other personality requirements no but i would set her up with like a four or five okay um potentially it's it's funny the the most the most attractive female clients that i've had i won't say i cannot say the same for men unfortunately but the most attractive women clients i've had almost all of them had said to me Looks don't matter. Yes. They've almost all said Woo. that. Evan, you're so cute. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. Not that, you know, we're looking for like Quasimodo to set her up with and being like, oh, let me take advantage of this. But no, it's, it's you know, because they've realized that, you know, beauty is fleeting, looks are superficial, and the person that you want to have a life and a family with, other traits are much more important. Guys have not realized that yet. Guys haven't quite gotten that uh, guys, that memo. Guys, I don't think will ever realize that, unfortunately. But that's that's definitely part of the conversation as we talk about looks and and how important is that? You know, one thing that I, I give all my clients is I say you can have three must-haves and three deal breakers, and every single person I introduce you to will have will, will have those three must-haves and will not have those three deal breakers, and those are the only guarantees. Anything beyond that is a preference that I will do my best to meet 
Um, and I, and oftentimes I do meet many, many more preferences than that. But again, I'm finding real people for you and not only a person that already exists, but a person that exists that also wants to meet you. You have to think about what you have to bring to the table as well. And so when people come, like I said, with a really like super ridiculous checklist, it's like, well, how realistic is this? Like, what are, what do you want out of this service? Like, do you want to just meet someone, you know, like hot and smart? Cool. Like I said, so, so do I, so do, so do all of us, but it's like, but do you want love? Do you want a serious relationship? Do you want a genuine connection? And if that's the case, I'm like, what are the most important qualities to you? And looks can be one of them. But before we close out, I want to touch on something we were talking about the other day, which is a thing that travelers encounter all the time, which is meeting people on airplanes. And we talked about this uh, actually a few months ago with the dateable girls from the, the dateable podcast about whether meeting people on airplanes is bullshit. And I have always contended that it is. You, I think, have a different uh, take on this. So I'd love to hear you talk about that a little bit. If you're not sitting right next to someone on an airplane, how do you meet someone? I'm someone where I hate being approached by people. Like even when I'm single and like, and, and if I was like looking for a date, I don't, I never like being approached by people. And the, and the guys that I've successfully like gotten my number were the ones that didn't let uh, kind of like a, an eye roll or, or a weird look stop them. Don't harass people, but, but you know, it's, it, but, uh, but there's a, there's a difference between harassing and, and being a little persistent and trying for a minute. Just, just start a conversation. You know, people on airplanes are bored. You know, even if she's reading a book or watching a movie, you can pause the movie. Like, it's not like you're, you're, you can get too into an airplane movie anyway. The volume is always awful. The screen is tiny and pixelated. So people are bored. I think that it's actually a kind of a great place to, to strike up a conversation with a stranger because you have a captive audience. There's nothing else to do. Um, if you can't get access to this person on the plane, look for them at baggage claim. I've done that. Not in a, not never for a dating situation, but I once saw um, a magazine editor I really admired was on my flight and I was super creepy and wanted to introduce myself. And uh, it just so happened that we were both waiting at baggage claim. And I used that, that time where again, everyone's standing around, you're super bored, you know, maybe your, your phone is dead even from being on a long flight. Um, and a conversation with someone interesting might be very welcome. It might be the best thing that could happen to you. Are you telling me that this is why I need to start checking my back? I think you need to travel with something beyond your 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 nasty backpack, Evan. That thing <laughs> needs to go through the dry cleaner. Hey, it looks it looks like it is good as new. Day one, it's fresh. It smells great. I, I do not agree with that, but that's okay. See, so what I would have to do is pretend to stand at baggage claim and talk to somebody. And then they'd be like, oh, so when's your bag coming out? I'd be like, oh, um, I don't uh, actually have a check bag. I just... Well, even I just kind of like hanging out you know, here. Right. You know, if you don't have a check bag, if you're, I mean, it's it's kind of bad luck if you're in the back of the plane because then you're the last one to get off. But say you get off the plane before she does, you can kind of like linger at the gate, you know, like pretend you're tying your shoe or something. And then, oh, you just happen to be deplaning at the same time and walking towards the exit. Oh, hey, like... Uh, you were just on this flight that I was on, right? Oh yeah. What did you think of? What did you think of the meal? Like, yeah, mine tasted kind of gross. Like, oh, where are you headed? Are, are you? Do you live here? Or are you traveling? It's just. It could. It's take it. It's the same situation as if you were anywhere else. Um, but no, and it works. Like I, I was telling you the, the other day, I met someone on a plane. I mean, granted, we were sitting seated next to each other, um, but it turned into a, actually a very like fun and romantic 
fling for a while. We lived in other sides of the country, but whenever we were in each other's city, we would always meet up and go out, and it was really fun. So you never know what could happen. That's so cute, Jenny. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, I've met pe- I, I met people on, I, I had a two-year relationship from a cruise ship. I met someone and dated someone I met on the subway. Traveling is a, is a, modes of transportation are a fantastic way to meet potential partners. I highly recommend it. Well, and this is my problem is I never sit next to anyone interesting on planes. And I've talked about this before is that like, of course, you know, taking your advice into account. Yeah, sure. There's people to be met. But if you're talking about just the people sitting directly next to you, never, not a single one. I think the most interesting guy I met on a plane was uh, this guy from Kansas who was flying to Boston and he'd never seen the ocean before. And he was asking me about the ocean. He was asking me about lighthouses. And then we flew over Boston. He was like glued to the window. And he was like, oh my God, I've never seen a lighthouse in person. And that was fascinating to me. He's the most most interesting person I've ever met on a plane. You should have asked him if he was single. (laughs) (laughs) Something tells me he was. I should have visited an accident. That's what I do. Whenever I meet someone who's like fascinating in one way or another, even if they're kind of quirky like that, I find that endearing, and I always ask, I'm like, so, are you, are you single? Are you seeing anyone? Because I want to set you up on a date, so. Yeah, no one came to mind for me to immediately set this 56-year-old Kansas man up with <laughs> uh, from a town of 13 people, but, you know, I, could, I he actually, I think I did get his business card. He was in, like, chemical processing, so one of those things you really can't ask any follow-up questions about. I mean, you could, just the answers might be a little a little sketch, but... Okay, yeah, and that's and I think the apathy of, beyond the logistics of it, the apathy of thinking, okay, even if I do talk to this person, it's one thing to kind of get up the nerve to talk to someone in your hometown or in your home city, because it's like, all right, we both live here, but it's in the, the, doing it in a place like an airport or on an airplane where you're like, oh, you know what, even if I do talk to this person, they're going their way, I'm going my way, like, what are the chances we're going to be in the same place, you know, an hour from now? I think that is also tough and kind of weighs on you just mentally when you're getting up the the nerve to do it. It's true. I mean, but you could the same could be said for meeting someone anywhere. You meet someone at a bar. How do you know that they live in your city? Or even if they do, how do you know that, you know, I don't know. Like there's 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 unknowns with with everything that you do in life. And so it ultimately comes down to taking a chance and thinking, what do I have to lose? And one of the nice things about meeting people too when you're traveling is even if you embarrass yourself, yeah, you're never going to see this other person again. (laughs) So it's not like they live in your hometown and you're going to run into them at the dentist or at the grocery store. You're never going to see them again. So you might as well shoot your shot. You never know. Shoot your shot. Well, if you're single, have no friends or if Tinder (laughs) is just not working out for you, Jenny can help you out. I'll be Um, your friend. So how can Jenny will be your friend? You got to pay her a lot of money, but she will. <laughs> that's a different part. That's a whole, that's a platinum membership you got to do for that. But yeah, so how can people check you out, sign up for your service or find you online? Yeah. So head to my website. It's listen to your heart.com spelled the same way, except heart is H A R T listen to your heart.com and you can fill out um, my Google doc with your information to be set up. If you want to connect with me also, I'm on Instagram. My handle is just my name. It's Jenny J heart and feel free to send me a DM. I'm spending way too much time being unproductive on Instagram. So happy to chat over DM. If you have any questions, my email is also on my website. So would love to connect with any and all of you that are interested in learning more. Awesome. Well, thanks for stopping by Jenny. Thanks Jenny. Thanks Evan. Thanks Melanie. What?
Thanks again to Jenny for coming on. And we're going to get right into our news of the week segments where we talk about the hottest travel news this week. First up for us today is this article from CNN. It talks about global air travel accounting for 2% of CO2 emissions and how travelers are opting for alternative means of transport and turning their back on airplanes, um, even turning to staycations instead. What do we think about this? Obviously, no one is pro CO2 emissions, but in terms of the future of air travel, the article suggests that it's potentially declining and that the industry is in a bad shape because people are no longer interested in airplanes. What do we think? What's funny is I would I would say I agree. However, I feel like there has really been this huge surge of everyone wanting to travel after, you know, the past year and a half that we've had. Now everyone is going, okay, like let's find trips to Cancun or Tulum or let's go to Paris. Everyone wants to be in Paris. I feel like most people on my feed are currently in Italy, specifically Positano or they're in they're in Greece. I feel like everyone is in Greece. So right now I think more people are traveling. I'm not in Greece. I mean, I would like for us to be in And now I kind of feel like shit for not being in Greece. So (laughs) you should just feel like shit in general, Evan. But I mean talk about doing something and getting absolutely nothing in return though, in terms of like boycotting flights. I mean okay, go ahead. Spend thousands more on some alternative means of transportation or don't take that epic vacation you were looking forward to for months just because you don't want to contribute to CO2 emissions. But like, meanwhile, millions of other assholes are having a grand old time flying around the world, living it up, and your sacrifice is making zero difference. So like, go ahead, make the argument though that if everyone did it though, if if everyone, you know, saved on CO2 emissions, the world would be a better place. Well, they're not, and they never will. Okay, so I love that you knew what my argument was going to be. It's like the whole plastic straws thing, right? Like slowly. But not everyone is doing it and they never will. And that is the real argument. I wouldn't say like never fly anywhere again. Okay, well, so what's what's the solution? So like if in what circumstance would you forego your trip to Positano because it's because it's an airplane? Like how are you going to what are you going to do? Like not go because you don't want to contribute to CO2 emissions? I think what what's becoming a hot topic is the idea of finding more sustainable ways to do things. So for me, if I'm going to, instead of flying to, I don't know, if instead of flying to Boston, which is what an hour flight from New York, I would be more inclined to take the train or use public transportation. I mean, a a bus to Boston from New York is only $20. So I think in instances And you would do that specifically because of CO2 reasons, not because of avoiding airport hassle or any other thing. Fine, Evan. No, no, I'm just, I'm asking (laughs) you. Like all, like it's more, it's more, say it's more convenient. It's not, I'm not convinced that it is, but say that it's more convenient. It's more cost effective. It's better for your schedule to take an airplane, but you don't want to contribute to CO2 emissions and you want to help the environment. So you would forego all of that and take the train instead at at the inconvenience to you. Would you actually do that or would you only do it if it was somehow more convenient to you as well? It would definitely be in in that instance, it would be like if it's something that where it is more convenient or it is more uh, cost effective, I think that would be what I would do. Or just for the sake of being on a road trip, personally, taking, going to the airplane, going to an airplane or an airline is very stressful and like having to take your shoes off and having your bag checked in the middle of nowhere for no reason or like, 
you know, Evan and, when Evan and I met, my suitcase, my carry-on luggage went missing for days. So things like that you don't have to worry about on a bus. So I think I would try to be a little bit more mindful. Um, but to be honest, I'm not going to be changing. I'm, I'm still going to go to Positano one day. I'm still going to go to Greece. I'm not going to, you know, spend 15 days getting to Greece for CO2. I mean, I don't know. To me, climate has always been a corporate and governmental issue to solve rather than uh, an individual issue. Like, yeah, we can do small things like recycle to make ourselves feel like we're making a difference. But the reality is most things we think we're recycling aren't actually getting recycled and we're not even making a fraction of a dent in this problem. It's really up to countries, governments, corporations to invest in alternative energy, commit to net zero emissions on like a larger global scale. That's the only way we can fix this, not by you going camping instead of going to Europe. Absolutely. I, I agree and I understand that. And what's interesting is Charlotte Wolf, the person who is in this article we've been looking at, she says that, you know, she's not ruling out air travel forever, but for the most part, she just prefers her and her partner. They prefer to use alternative means. So I think I understand. Big CO2 guy. Love emitting CO2. I don't know about anybody else. Oh, man. It's my favorite. I'm just, I, as, as I'm sitting here right now it's talking, I'm just spewing CO2 all over the place. I can't. Oh, Eben, CO2. This the CO2 thing needs to be on your dating profile. I think that would help you. <laughs> Pro CO2 emissions. Jenny might approve. Yeah. I don't know. Only group photos. Only shirtless mirror pics. Certified non-creep. Matchmaker approved. Uh, love CO2. Well, the shirtless, the sunglasses. Interests. CO2 emissions and greenhouse gases. Love it all. All right. What do we got next? Okay. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. North America is in prime viewing position for the longest lunar eclipse of the century. And everyone, yeah, everyone's losing. Stop it. Stop it. Don't, no, don't tell. No. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's so crazy, right? The best news ever. So go, go on about this lunar eclipse of the century, longest lunar eclipse of the century. We are in prime viewing position. Pinch me. Am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? (laughs) I don't sense any sarcasm from you for once. I don't understand. So the largest, longest partial lunar eclipse of the 21st century will take place overnight on November 18th and 19th. Oh, it's a partial lunar eclipse? Fuck that. I I only do full. I only wake up in the morning for full lunar eclipses. Evan, this is why you're single. Get it together. You have to be open. Did Did Jenny teach you? Okay, nothing? I'm open. I'm open. I'm open. Let's go. Keep talking okay, about the lunar okay. eclipse. So, if you're in northern, if you're in North America, you're golden. You'll be able to see the entire eclipse, which NASA predicted will last three hours, twenty eight minutes, and twenty three seconds. So, Evan, the whole thing with this is people are losing their minds. Are you? I mean, are you losing your mind for? these lunar eclipses I, do, am I, do i sound like i am i mean i think i think the way i'm expressing oh, myself right now is pretty uh pretty reasonable and rational for how someone should treat an astronomical event i think so explain to me the fascination with i know this isn't quite the same thing but with moon phases like the super moons and the blood moons and the harvest moons and the the, the magenta uh worm super hyper moons what and these, I used to write these articles for Matador, alerting people to like, oh, just so you know, if you look up in the sky tonight, you're going to see a super harvest blue blood moon. What? And those articles would kill it with traffic. People love that shit. Why? 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 Because I would look up and it's the same goddamn moon every single month. It's the exact same thing. What? And I understand eclipses are different. Eclipses are a little more rare and a little cooler. What 
is the fascination with this with the moon it's all the same all the time once a month look up full moon cool sometimes it looks a little closer than usual sometimes it looks a little bigger great what is it melanie do you understand this i kind of understand it because i just think the world is beautiful and getting to i i'm all for finding a reason to celebrate and if it's something that's like pure and innocent like looking up at the moon making a wish on a star like i am here for it and i'm not here to dispute the beauty of the moon like i i actually contrary to potentially popular belief big solar system guy took one science class in college was the solar system loved it one of my favorite classes but what i don't understand is the moon is the same. Super moons are the same. Full moons are the same every single month. They have different names because of the seasons that they, or because of the months that they're assigned to. So like the harvest moon, I think is the October uh, full moon. They look the same. They look exactly the same. What is it? What is it that gets people so excited? Because it's beautiful and romantic and the world is doing something different yeah so all right then we have articles that have like that talk about here's this this really cool off the beaten path island in polynesia that just opened to tourism and here's why you should check it out you know how many clicks that would get 86 you know how many clicks the the our 107th full moon article would get Sixty-five thousand. what is it with people in the moon i don't know i don't know i don't have any answers i don't think you have any answers if anyone else has any answers, shoot us an email at noblackoutdatespod at gmail.com. We would love to hear it. Anything else on this? I just feel like it's beautiful. Let people love what they love, even if it's weird moon phases and like the moon being blood orange, whatever that is. Okay. So if Melanie's thesis is the moon is beautiful, leave people alone. Eben, shut up. All right. I get it. Honestly, that was basically our whole friendship right there. That's all you needed to know. Good summary. There we go. Perfect. Thanks for listening to No Blackout Dates. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If for some reason you want to follow what we're up to, I'm Evan Flo underscore on Instagram, and she is Melanie Sutra. We'll see you guys next week.